deceived. She is responsible for her sin. But Adam was not deceived. Adam just flat out rebelled. He just flat out rebelled. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew this was violating God's will. And yet he took of the fruit anyway. Sometimes we just want to do what we want to do, right? Comedian Red Skelton showed great insight into human nature with his Mean Widow Kid skits. The line I'll never forget is Red dressed up in old-fashioned kid's clothing and saying, If I do it, I did a whipping. And he'd pause and he'd think it over, and then he'd make his decision. I'd do it, he'd say, and then he'd go do some crazy prank. Well, Adam wasn't a widow kid, was he? He was a full-grown man and a man without a sin nature, at least so far. And still, he decided that the perceived benefit of defying God was worth the cost. That was a bad decision. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve begins his concluding message in a series from Chapter 3 of Genesis about the fall of man. In previous classes, we saw how God dealt with the serpent, with Satan, and with Eve. Now it's Adam's turn. Here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson. I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We want to conclude our study of the third chapter of Genesis this morning. And I'm looking at verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. The Bible makes it very clear that our sins will find us out. It says that in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Know for certain your sin will find you out. You cannot get away with sin. Even though the Bible is real clear about this, and experience teaches this as well, uh, some people have to learn this the hard way, don't they? Not too long ago, I read about two college students, uh, true story, two college students who fit in this category, a little slow in learning about this. Well, it seems that these two fellows were taking a course in chemistry at Duke University and were doing quite well. They were doing very well in this course. In fact, going into the final exam, they had a solid A in the class. In fact, they were so confident that they would do well in this final that they decided to go up to the University of Virginia uh, on the weekends uh, and party with friends, even though the final was on Monday. Now, they should have been at school, Duke University, studying for the final, but they decided to go away for the weekend, University of Virginia, and party with friends. And uh, they thought they would get back on time, and they would take the test, and everything was fine. So they did this and uh, partied, and uh, they uh, had hangovers and all other things associated with partying. And due to those things, they actually overslept all through Sunday 
and uh, didn't make it back to Duke until Monday morning. Now, the final was on Monday morning, but they really hadn't studied. They really hadn't prepared. But rather than take their chemistry final then, they found the professor. After the final was given out, they found the professor and explained why they had missed it. And, but instead of telling the truth, they came up with this incredible story. They, uh, instead of telling the truth about partying and oversleeping and all that, they said, they just gave a flat-out lie, that they had a flat tire on the way back and uh, not having a spare. They were stuck, and nobody stopped to help them, and so they were late. Now, the professor thought about this for a moment, and then he agreed that they could make up the final the next day. Well, they were very, very relieved about this, and so they studied that night, and the next day they were placed in separate rooms. They were in different rooms given a test booklet, and told to begin. Well, they looked at the first question, and they were very, very relieved. For five points, uh, it was just a very simple question, and they, and they thought, cool, this is going to be a breeze. It's easy. But when they turned the page, they were unprepared for what they saw. There was only one other question on this test, and it was worth 95 points. The one question was this, which tire? You see, your sin really will find you out in some rather creative ways. So if you ever go to Duke University, beware of the chemistry professor who is very, very sharp. Your sin really will find you out. You cannot get away with it. And, and really, according to the Bible, the very first people who discovered this principle, this unchanging principle, the very first people were Adam and Eve. Because Genesis chapter 3 records uh, not only the fall of man certainly records that, but it also, recall, uh, it also records for us the consequences of that fall, that their sin really did find them out. First, we see that there are, and we've studied this few, uh, the last few weeks, there are natural effects of sin. There are just natural effects. And Adam and Eve uh, experienced those natural effects or the natural results of sin. Uh, they knew guilt for the first time. They understood shame and embarrassment. They also were fearful. They, they um, experienced fear for the first time. They ran from the presence of God. They hid from him. And Adam said, I was afraid when I heard you were in the garden. And they also began to make excuses, which is a direct uh, consequence of the fall. Rather than taking the blame themselves and saying, I'm guilty, deal with me. Adam said it was really your fault, God, because you gave me this woman. And if it wasn't just your fault, it was also her fault because she gave me the fruit and I ate. And when he turned to Eve, God turned to Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, the serpent that you made, he tempted me, and so forth. And, uh, and so they began to make excuses. But starting in verse 14, and we began to look at this last week, God issues forth curses upon them. Now, a curse in the Bible is not, as we said last week, it's not uh, vulgar language, it's not foul talk. A curse in the Bible is God saying, I'm removing you from the place of harmony, the place of blessing, and you will receive punishment. So beginning at verse 14, these are judgment oracles. These are judgments of God on four individuals who were involved with the fall of man. He passes four sentences upon the individuals. We saw that the serpent was sentenced to humiliation. Why? Because he exalted himself above a uh, man who really was to rule over him. Adam was to rule over the animal kingdom, but this serpent, this snake, exalted himself above man by letting Satan use his body. And so verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
Cursed are you more than all cattle. The animal world was cursed, but you're more so. And how how is that? More than every beast of the field, on your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. So the serpent has been condemned to a life of humiliation, crawling on his belly. And we saw last week that that will even continue in the millennial kingdom. That will not stop, even when the curse is lifted. Secondly, we see, and we saw that Satan was sentenced to defeat by one seed of the woman. And by the way, I might add that all the uh, the judgments fit the crime. They fit the crime perfectly. The serpent experienced humiliation because his crime was exaltation. The Satan, the devil, on the other hand, was sentenced to defeat by one seed of the woman who would crush his head even though he would bruise his heel. And we know prophetically, we know from the rest of the Bible, that one uh, seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. One of, of Eve's descendants, the Lord Jesus Christ, would defeat Satan. Well, why does that fit the crime? Because Satan defeated the woman in the garden. He tempted her and she fell for his temptation. He defeated her there, but one of her children would rise up and defeat him with a crushing blow to the head that would destroy his power. Then the woman was sentenced to uh, pain in childbirth and also conflict with her husband over who's going to be the leader in the family. And we went over that last week, why that expression in verse 16, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And here's the expression, in pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire, that's the word, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you to get the tape on that. We went into that. Why that word does not mean sexual desire or just uh, leaning on her husband economically, emotionally. It means that you desire to control him. You will desire from this point on to wear, as we say in our culture, to wear the, the pants in the family. You will desire to be in control, but he will come back and he will rule over you. And sometimes in a very um, insensitive, dictatorial way. And so there's going to be ongoing conflict between a husband and a wife. Why, why is that the uh, perfect judgment for the woman? Because the woman's crime was in leading her husband. And now she will suffer because she will continue to want to lead him, but he will rule over her. Now, that's where we stopped last week. And so this week, we want to begin by looking at Adam's judgment, the sentence of Adam. But but it's interesting that we're given more here in the sentence of, of Adam than just his sentence. We are told in relation to, to Adam's sin, we're told that God dealt with him actually in three ways. The first way that God deals with Adam, actually dealt with him, is the sentence of Adam. He sentenced him to hard labor. Let's begin by looking at verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Let, let's just stop there. After God pronounces, we're going to put this together, after God pronounces judgment on Eve, he turns to Adam. He's finished with the serpent, he's finished with Satan, he's finished with Eve. He turns to Adam and he judges him last, probably because Adam sinned last. So he's going in somewhat of an order. But before he passes sentence on Adam, God is very, very clear as to um, tell Adam what his sin really was. This is the essence of his sin. In other words, it's this. You listen to your wife instead of me, and you ate what I forbid you to eat. God wants him to know very clearly, this is what I'm punishing you for. The thought is this. Adam, you, you turned your back on my voice to listen to your wife's voice, 
and the result was sin. Now, as we've said before, Eve, the Bible makes it very clear in, in 2 Corinthians 11 and uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 that Eve was deceived. Eve really believed that if she ate of the fruit, she would be like God, knowing good and evil. She would be wise. Adam didn't buy that. He knew better than that. Eve was deceived. Now, Eve was wrong, and she is guilty, but she was deceived. She is responsible for her sin. But Adam was not deceived. Adam just flat out rebelled. He just flat out rebelled. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew this was violating God's will, and yet he took of the fruit Anyway, and I, and I want to just stop here and, and just kind of hammer home a point. This, in my opinion, is the essence of sin. I think there are a lot of people who are confused about what is sin. And there are a lot of cultural and man-made rules that people uh, think uh, really is sin, but, but it's not necessarily sin. I remember uh, someone telling Michelle years ago, someone who's not a believer, saying, you know, the only thing I really do wrong, and, and that's I have a little smoking habit. And uh, I thought, uh, honey, have you missed the boat? You really, and I'm not endorsing smoking, but if you think that's your biggest problem, you don't understand what your problem is. The essence of sin is disobeying God's word. And all of us have done that, whether you realize it or not. For much of my life, I, can't, I guess I'm getting old, I can't say that now. I was going to say for most of my life. Well, until I was about 18, I didn't think I was really a wicked sinner. I didn't think I was a sinner until I, I came to know Christ. Uh, and shortly before that, because I thought, I had a misunderstanding what sin was. I thought sin was what all those bad people did. They get written up in the newspapers. And I didn't have any of that. And yet, I had to come face to face with what the Bible says sin is. Sin is disobeying God's word. Whether you know it or not, you are responsible to know his standards. Sin is doing your own thing. Sin is going your own way. Sin is being the master of your life. Sin is rebelling against God's authority. That's what sin is. And because a lot of people don't understand that, either they don't feel guilty when they should feel guilty, or else they feel guilty about things that they that, that are really piddly little nothing things that they shouldn't feel guilty about, man-made cultural rules. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah put it this way. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's what sin is. It's doing your own thing. It's going your way as opposed to God's way. And in Adam's case, he ate what was forbidden. He just clearly violated God's word. And, in, and because of this, now watch this, because his sin was in eating what he should not have eaten, his punishment involved eating. Remember, the, the punishment precisely fits the crime. And notice, as we look on in verse 17 as we continue, here's, here's the punishment. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. Because Adam's sin was in eating, from now on he would experience painful toil in eating, to eat, to get the food. Why? Because God cursed the ground. It wasn't that eating was going to be hard for him, but getting the food to eat would be difficult. God cursed the ground, which sentenced Adam to suffer a, a lifelong, toilsome labor until he died. That was his punishment. You see, prior to the fall, 
the earth, the land cooperated with Adam. There's no problem. He was to cultivate it, but uh, work was a delight. Work, work is not a problem. It's the labor now in a sin-cursed world that is the problem. But work in and of itself uh, is a virtue. And notice, for example, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that's pleasing in his sight and good for food and the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God caused it to grow. And then in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The ground cooperated with Adam then, but now it was cursed. It would never be the same. And now it would produce thorns and thistles. And instead of cooperating with man, it was now, it would now reluctantly yield its fruit. It would yield its fruit. No question about that or else we couldn't live, but it would reluctantly yield its fruit. And Adam is depicted. And here's the picture. Adam is depicted as a struggling, broken farmer whose very meals, which come from the earth, remember, he didn't go have a store to go to, comes from the earth, they're spoiled by the fatigue of his labors. Whatever he, he gets is just, you know, from exhaustion, and his life isn't going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. You know why? Because he's going to die. That's what God said. It's going to be a hard life, and then you're going to die. You're going to return to the ground. Now, there are several significant truths and principles contained in these verses, two in particular that I want you to uh, to think about and I want to camp on. Number one, here's one principle. Because of sin, we should understand life is hard. Life is hard. Life is filled with pain. It's filled with sorrow. It's filled with troubles. Life is not easy. And, you, and some of you may say, hey, I know that. You don't have to convince me. But there are other Christians who are living in a, in a la-la world they're, they're dreamers. They're dreamers. They don't think that this is coming to them. Somehow being a child of the king uh, eliminates, they think, all of the toil and pains of life, or it ought to. And they're looking for some spiritual zapping and experience which is going to elevate them above the difficult circumstances of life. It just doesn't happen. As Christians, we need to face this fact, not be surprised by the troubles that we have. Some of us are troubled because we, we see ourselves suffering even more than some non-Christians, and we wonder about that. We're surprised by the troubles that we face in life. We need to understand we live in a hostile environment, and therefore Murphy's Law is an everyday occurrence. You know Murphy's Law, if something can go wrong, it will. That, that's an everyday occurrence. You know, I think that ancient man understood this principle a lot better than, than we do. For, for example, look at um, Genesis chapter 5, just two chapters over. Genesis chapter 5, just a few generations removed from, from Adam, you have a, a, a man by the name of uh, Lemech, who is the father of Noah. And here's what he said in verse, uh, verse 29 of Genesis 5. It says, now he called his name, that is his dad, called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of, of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord God has cursed. Now, he didn't quite understand all of it. He probably thought that Noah might be the Messiah. But he said, This is the one. He's going to give us relief from this horrible life that, that we have because the earth is cursed. Not only that, Job, a little bit later, Job made this statement. He said, For man is born for trouble. As sparks fly upward, as natural as it is for sparks to fly upward, that's how natural it is for man to have trouble. You see, I, I, I tend to think that it's only in our modern age of progress and technology that man is obsessed 
with things going well. He somehow thinks he's going to find an answer in science to make his life so much better that he doesn't have any problems, to avoid all the unpleasantries, so that everything goes smooth. So when troubles, what happens living in a dream world like that, when troubles don't go away, people tend to get frustrated, really frustrated, because they're not prepared mentally for the trials of life. And Christians can sometimes do that as well. But I want you to know, as believers in Christ, we are told not that we'll avoid our troubles, but we are told to greet our trials as friends. James chapter 1 tells us that. Greet them as friends. Why would you greet some, something like that as trouble as a friend? Because it's good for you. It's good for you because it, it builds character. That's what life is about. Being holy, not being happy. This is the happiness syndrome. I want to be happy. I want life to go smooth. I want everything to fall in place. The Bible doesn't say that. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And whether you're a child of the king or not, uh, you are in a fallen world. Jesus came and lived in a fallen world. And we do too. Things are not going to be great until the curse is lifted at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Society and politicians will, will continue to promise us a utopian age. It just isn't going to happen like that. It only happens when Jesus returns and is going to usher in the kingdom. So, so I think that's an important principle to understand. Because of the fall of man, life is hard. Life is hard. It's difficult, no matter how many advances we make in science and technology. Now, a second truth, I think, related to this, to this principle is this. The world that we live in is just wearing out. Do you know that? It's wearing out. It's not getting better. It's not getting better. There's no such thing as evolution in the sense of things are getting higher and higher and better and better. They're degenerating. They're getting worse, not getting better. Death and decay are realities. In fact, there's a, a law for this. The law in science is called the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics, which basically states that all things left to themselves eventually wear out, run down, grow old, decay, and pass into dust. Not a pretty picture, but that is reality. This isn't only the earth's experience, this is our experience as well. That's what was told of Adam. You're going to wear out. You're going to die. Adam was told that he was going to die, that he would return to the dust from which God took him. I've read that those little plastic rings they use to form six packs of beverages take about 450 years to decay. A glass bottle? Well, no one knows for sure how long they'll last, but it's a lot longer than you and I will last, at least in these sin-cursed bodies. We are all under the same sentence of death as Adam. Aren't you glad that God has a plan of redemption for us? Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You're always invited to come for a visit if you're in the area on a Sunday and need a place to worship. Lakeside's address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. For more information, call 727 727- 441-1714 or go to lakesidechapel.com That's lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714 Verse by Verse is listener-supported radio. We're grateful to and for the generous listeners who make these broadcasts possible. If you'd like to help keep Verse by Verse on the air, we have a secure and convenient giving page on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Hey, while you're at it, please feel free to browse our library of previous broadcasts. You can stream or download any of them that you want to hear. 
In fact, as we near the conclusion of this series, perhaps you'd want to have them all. We sure hope they bless you. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. As we've seen, life is hard, and then we die. Mm, I imagine you already knew that, didn't you? So then, if that's all there is, what's the point of living? Well, the fact is, that's not all there is. There's much more to the story, as Pastor Steve will show us on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Has your life been turned upside down? Beyond the White Picket Fence by Sherry Rose Shepherd is a lesson-filled love letter to anyone trapped in a pit of pain. Whether you are going through divorce, betrayal, abandonment, or disease, there is a way to come through it to find an